Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Energy Newsbeat podcast. My name's Stu Turley, President and CEO of the Sandstone Group. We've got an action-packed show today, and I just can't believe that I'm sitting here talking to Mr. Doomberg. Doomberg is a phenomenal resource for the world in finance, energy, uh, unbelievable. And I'm sorry for being so excited, uh, Mr. Doomberg. Thank you for stopping by. Dude, it's a uh, it's long time in the making. It's it's about time, you know, uh, I mean, your show is all about energy. So, you know, it's really oh. looking forward to it. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I mean, your story today, after we get a little bit rolling here, uh, critical leverage is a perfect example of what Doomberg's all about details, references, cross checks. Uh, you're a true uh, reporter uh, and and everything else. So we just talked, chit chatted before the, the, the show. Uh, you are a chicken, right? Yes. <laughs> and for our uh, podcast listeners, uh, we're going to have his picture in the in the show notes. Substack author, and I am so excited just to visit with him about his picture. I'm talking to him, and he looks phenomenal. And so, okay, tell us about how uh, Doomberg got started and where you are right now. You bet. Uh, Doomberg is uh, uh, is a Substack, as you mentioned. We are anonymous, a uh, very small team. Uh, we come predominantly from industry, from the commodity sector, which we think makes us pretty unique in the content creation space, especially yep. in the in the area of energy and geopolitics and finance and in the intersection of those three categories. As you know, most people who work in industry at the big companies have RSUs to protect and options to worry about and public affairs teams standing between them and the press. And right. um, they are basically forbidden from having any meaningful social media footprint. And what that has meant historically is that the energy debate has um, has occurred between academicians and uh, politicians. And there's the voice of industry and what's reasonable and what's practical and what's doable right. uh, and what's sensible and what obeys the laws of physics has been, by and large, uh, meaningfully absent from that debate. And this was the inefficiency yeah. in the market that we chose to occupy back in, in May of 2021 when we launched Doomberg first as a free uh, right. service and now as a paid um, the, the green chicken, which you refer to as our brand, um, we, we had no social media footprint when we started this project. And so um, one of the rules of marketing is, is you can't be remembered if you don't stand out. And so in lieu of just another person who looks like an executive, uh, we thought the green chicken might be a little stickier. And then once we gain some momentum, it's kind of you don't want to de-anonymize because then that can collapse the brand intrigue. And so that's the genesis of Doomberg. Uh, where, uh, I'm a scientist by training. And so I, I had spent a couple of decades in industry doing research and development in various energy technologies. And so um, with this molecular map of how the economy actually works, um, we can read a Reuters story about First Solar and within five minutes immediately spit out the outline that we published today, um, Critical Leverage. And so if you want to jump right into that, I'm happy to do so. Okay, cool. Uh, before we do that, I've got to ask some really personal questions. Okay. Do you work remote? I got a whole list of questions that fans yeah. uh, for our sure. show in. Do you work remote? Yes, of course. Yeah. We, well, I mean, we have our own office. Um, so oh, yeah. when, when you do what you love for a living, it's not really work. So it's kind of a trick question. Um, we research, write, edit, publish, and promote uh, fun pieces. And it's the work of my life in particular. This is what I was meant to do. And yep. when, you when you find what you're meant to be doing in life, um, Lord knows, just keep doing it is a sound strategy. And so um, we have uh, purchased a chicken coop, a, a, a office that we can um, go to. I'm a big believer that you have to go somewhere. I, I, 
uh, you know, like work means leaving the home in my mind. I know the right. work from home thing is is kind of a big deal. But um, even when um, we were building a consulting firm or before Doomberg was a thing and it exploded, we always had a place to go. Um, nice. And so we do, we work remotely in the sense that we don't work at some big company and we don't badge in and we don't have an HR department and we don't keep office hours. And um, nice. if, if I, if I want a glass of wine with lunch, I don't have to worry about getting busted when I badge back in. So um, and by that measure, life is fantastic. Nice. Well, again, thank you for your time. Let's dive in on critical leverage. Your uh, insight on everything. Love the first quote. Uh, it's okay to have your eggs in one basket as long as you control what happens to that basket. Elon Musk. And then we start jumping right on into China. Let's hear what you have an opinion on China on this. There's an, one overarching theme of our work is how China, uh, because we have experienced this firsthand, um, uh, competing against Chinese state-owned enterprises um, in our careers, China has executed near, nearly flawlessly a strategic objective, an economic strategic objective of controlling critical choke points in virtually every supply chain that matters. And um, whether it be sensitive military technology or anything to do with the production or transmission of energy, China works to to, to paper over their own weakness, i.e. lack of oil and gas deposits of, of meaningful size, uh, in order to gain leverage in a variety of ways. And one of the ways they do that is to monopolize all of the dirty, hard parts of the early part of the supply chain that we in the West don't like to do. And um, one area where they have done this quite famously is in polysilicon solar. Um, they control the production of polysilicon. They control uh, the conversion uh, of, of that polysilicon into ignits, uh, something like 98% of ignit capacity flows through China. So even though we have three factories in the US producing polysilicon today, which is the key ingredient that goes into the majority of solar cells, right. all of that polysilicon ends up going on a boat to China and gets transformed uh, into ignits and then into wafers, sliced into wafers. And they also control the cutting oh. fluids market and all manner of things. Then those wafers get, uh, you know, uh, transformed into solar cells, which gets mounted into PV modules. And that's sort of the supply chain. And China um, owns 72% of polysilicon, 98% of ignits, 97% of wafers, 81% of cells and 77% of modules. And even the cells and modules are a little deceptive because um, they have set up shop outside of China to try to circumvent U.S. tariff policies in countries like Vietnam and Malaysia and Thailand. And so so with that background, uh, there's one major exception. And whenever whenever we point this out, astute subscribers always ask us about First Solar. And I should say up front, we don't we don't invest in anything. We have no position in First Solar, no member of the Doomberg team. Long or short options or calls, um, stock or bonds, we have no financial interest in First Solar, just so people know that. But we decided to do a deep dive on First Solar because of the following reason. They are held up as an American-made solar company that right. is not, not beholden to the polysilicon industry. Right. And the, the reason that this is, is at least uh, at the surface, plausible is because they don't do polysilicon chemistry. They use cadmium telluride technology to make reasonably efficient, pretty cheap cells. And right. we we saw this article in Reuters because they just announced the opening of their next factory, the fifth one in the U.S. And Reuters right. described it as a surge in demand for American-made solar panels. Right. What does American-made mean in this context? And by the way, we are throwing billions of dollars. Oh yeah. At this industry, First Solar stands to gain a lot of it. As soon as I read American-made, and then this other quote uh, that that at the end of of Reuters, solar project developers in the U.S. have flocked to First Solar's cadmium telluride products because the technology does not rely on polysilicon, a raw material primarily made in China. Um, this is meant to imply yeah. that 
First Solar does not depend on China, but of course they do. And I knew intuitively okay. as soon as I read that quote. And, um, you know, to give away the story, of course, China controls uh, tellurium production, which one is, is one of the rarest elements on Earth. And um, First Solar <laughs> confesses in its, in its annual report that it is uh, effectively single sourced in that regard. And so everywhere we look, um, China controls a critical choke point and First Solar is no different. And so we walk through wow. how tellurium is made and where it comes from and how little of it there is and so on and so on. And yet here we yeah. are spending billions of dollars creating demand for a choke point that China controls. Yeah. Now, when you, when you sit back and sit um, on that choke point, your chart is phenomenal. Look at this. Um you know, you are, I mean, this is just your, your facts, charts, and proof in this story are, are phenomenal. But the marketing of them, they'll go out and say it's American made. That's a marketing department. Yeah, so we wrote a piece of a while ago called um, No Assembly Required, where we talked about the difference between manufacturing and assembly. And it's subtle, um, but it's important. Right. And um, if you import cells from China, Right. And then mount them into modules and, you know, put the balance of systems in there. Is that manufacturing or is that assembly? It's assembly, actually. Right. Um, and the manufacturing is, in fact, is the hard stuff. The transforming of raw materials into useful products that then go on to have, you know, value added downstream. And mm -hmm. we we have outsourced our manufacturing. Um, right. And then we... We use public funds to convince people that we are, um, let's say, removing our leverage, uh, removing our dependency on China by you know, investing in manufacturing facilities. So, I mean, they look similar, right? Both have factories right. with cars in the parking lot and inputs go into right. them and, and different products come out of them. But there is a difference between manufacturing uh, and assembling. And in that piece, No Assembly Required, which we published in December, we define manufacturing involves a transformation of raw materials into a part or a component. Whereas assembly is the process of taking multiple parts and arranging them in a specific way. And First Solar buys Catelright. And then they, you know, uh, they do some manufacturing. They were sort of at the interface between traditional manufacturing and assembly because they, they use complex chemical techniques like, you know, chemical vapor deposition to make very thin films of catelluride and then, you know, connect them right. into and into uh, the final components. But they they need to buy catelluride. And China, actually, we didn't put it in the piece, but they also control cadmium production as well. But cadmium oh, yeah. is, is a little more abundant and, and is not the sort of rate limiting step or the, or the constraining step. And, and because the piece was already long enough, we decided to cut that part out. Um, let me ask this about China's supply chain and Taiwan. You'd mentioned Taiwan and some of your articles and things. With the China economy, all, all the news from, you know, the Wall Street Journal and everything was saying that China, they're worried about China's economy this morning having a big hit and stuff. And in a, a geopolitical way, you know, it's was it wag the dog or something when yeah. things are bad? Is China going to, you know, you think about them invading China to try to, you know, pull the old squirrel, you know, from there people and their problems to creating a war. Yeah. Invading Taiwan, I believe, is what you meant to say. Um, yes. We opened, oh, Thank that's you. not a problem. Yeah. We, we opened critical leverage by telling the story of Kyle Bass giving this presentation at the Hudson Institute, which we described as a uh, conservative think tank that never saw a war it didn't like. And um, I, I would say it is entirely possible that Kyle Bass is right. We only wrote this piece to highlight you know, in, in that presentation, Kyle Bass says, with a flick of a switch, we could turn off the Chinese economy and crush their economy. It's like, yes. Right. And then what would the rebound effects be to us? <laughs> and and our yeah. point is, like, leverage on us. And they would collapse our economy very quickly. 
in return. Right. Uh, and so this was the key reason why we wrote this piece. Now, to your point, we are seeing a deluge of propaganda in the West around the relatively poor state of the Chinese economy. It might very well be that the right. Chinese economy is in a very poor state. And to right. your question, if it is, um, that would feed uh, some increased likelihood that Kyle Bass is in fact correct and that oh, um, wow. Xi, yes. Xi Jinping will indeed invade Taiwan. If he does, I mean, shudder the thought, uh, because it's going to be Let's put it this way. That is not priced into the markets today. <laughs> no. Now, on ESG, uh, on the solar panels, you know, we chunk uh, so much of our uh, solar panels that fall off, and, you know, and they're, they're so many years and then they have to be done. We load them on boats and throw them to other countries. Uh, recycling is a huge deal. And on your other post, I, I can't remember if it was yesterday or day before, you were talking about warehouses and how the activists are going to start going after the warehousing. How is that going to affect the supply chain? Yeah. So two questions are there really. Um, okay. Recycling is a fascinating topic and one that we've given a lot of thought to. And in fact, another thing that we left out of this piece is once enough of these catellarite cells um, get or panels get installed out right. in the wild, there will be an opportunity for a recycler given the value and the rarity right. of, the, of the metals involved. And, and there are some people who believe that once enough catellarite cells get installed, that the uh, the uh, rate of, of old panels coming offline uh, with efficient recycling could, in fact, make it kind of a closed loop. And so you right. wouldn't need all that much incremental tellurium to, right. uh, to make that go. Uh, we wrote a piece separately on warehouse wars. Right. Uh, it was called Warehouse Wars on, on the attack on, on the humble warehouse in California and, right. and the in, Inland Empire. And um, we like to, so we, we're pretty good with patterns and pattern recognition. And, and we have a pretty good sense, having interacted with the environmental movement for you know the length of our careers, uh, where they're going. And we like to get ahead of it and put it in the minds of our subscribers so that when they see it reported in the media a few months right. later, they say to themselves, Doomberg had that. And, and this is one of those pieces where we we're, we think we're kind of leading the news uh, in this area. Now, it's to be fair, the, the concept has been reported on and we, and we quoted them in the right. other times in a few other areas, but not quite in the way that we framed it. And last thing I would say, you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to build on. You, you talked about our sort of journalism style. Right. Uh, yes. We are not we are not professional journalists, but we aspire to be professional in our journalism. Uh, nice. And, and so because we're not trained in, in like one of the things that is kind of annoying is like when people call themselves uh, engineers, but they did, they're not actually engineers. And uh, right. that sort of stolen valor. Uh, we, we are not journalists. We didn't go to journalism school. We would right. probably consider ourselves to be citizen journalists, but we try to be as professional as we can about it. We do show our homework, right. link to all of the sources and give credit uh, by doing so as well. So it's kind of a win win. Oh, I'll tell you, your your weaving of stories into same topics is incredible. I I try to do that on my daily show, and I try to pick all the stories for that daily show, and they weave into a theme. You guys do that phenomenally, and I'm sorry, I consider you guys, considering we have a media and a a way, your stuff is fantastic because it. It, it while you consider it not you're a scientist correct yes you, you you adhere to the scientific rules that they don't yeah i would say um we are more than happy with the relative demise of the u.s media in the narrow sense that it has provided us with the economic <laughs> opportunity to create an amazing living and so yes um, it is bad for democracy it's bad for the country but it is unabashedly bullish for Duberg and other similar independent media-like 
outlets. Right. And okay. so we, the dip, one another thing that differentiates us from, say, traditional journalists is we have opinions and right. we express them. Um, and so we're not doing traditional reporting. Um, but we even when we express our opinions, um, we like to be open minded about it and willing to change our minds. And right. one of the ways that we stoke conversation with our subscribers is by providing all of the links and all of the homework right. um, to the pieces. And and we do rigorous fact checking. Um, I oh, would yeah. say, um, you know, we've done, I think, 220 pieces and counting. There's yes. probably four or five facts that we got wrong. Most famously <laughs> recently, we we accidentally called um, Doug Ford, the former mayor of Toronto, when in fact he was a city councilman. And um, and it was his, yeah. his, his brother, Tom Ford, who is, uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, was a bit more of a, a high-profile character than than uh, Doug, but we. So that's an example of a fact that we we didn't pick up in our. Uh, you know, you admit it, Doomberg. Oh, of course, you yeah. Admit it. Yeah. Other uh, other folks don't do that. It's hard, you know. It's what just as an aside. Um, the volume that we put out, like probably seven oh, yeah. pieces a month. It's an it's incredibly easy to say right. something incorrect that you actually know is incorrect when somebody points it out to you, but your brain just doesn't work that way while you're writing and editing. Right. Like um, right. it might be something that you think you're going to go back and check. And we've worked hard. We have a pretty systematic work process around generating our pieces, which right. is how we are able to weave the stories in and focus on the titles and all that stuff. Um, there's still, no matter how hard you try and how many times you read it, occasionally something yeah. slips through. Like I know Doug Ford wasn't the mayor of Toronto. I don't know why I wrote it and I don't know how it got through our editor, but it did. And it happens, you know, um, but then you correct it immediately because we can edit our pieces. Yeah. And the nice thing, well, and then one last point on inside baseball, you know, when, when you have, we have like 177,000 emails. And so every time we publish our piece, we're sending out an wow. enormous amount of emails right. and we have, we're in a constant battle with the spam filters, you know, our stuff wow. shows up in people's junk folders. Um, one of the things we thought about doing was occasionally making a typo on purpose. And here's why. It turns out when we make a typo, we get hundreds of email replies pointing out the typo all day long, right? And it turns out that um, if people reply to an email, the algorithms don't assume it's not spam because nobody ever replies to spam. Oh, and right. so we could trick the algorithm into giving us an easier go of it if we just put a typo in every fourth or fifth piece because <laughs> we get so How many responses. How smart is that? <laughs> oh, I love that. We've decided not to do it out of pride, but um, this is a uh, this is a, a, a workaround to the uh, Google uh, Gmail spam filters that we have uh, uncovered covered by accident. But you know what? That's brilliant. And there's nothing wrong with getting the word out on some of these things until Google figures this out. You know, <laughs> uh, my website, uh, Mr. Doomburb, is we're getting ha uh, not hacked. Well, yeah, uh, most of the hacks are coming from the United States and we're getting millions of impressions on my podcast. We're approaching uh, 100,000 downloads, downloads only, not listens and, and everything sure, else sure. On, on this podcast for this year. And uh, I love my guests. I love every, and you can tell I'm excited about everything in, in this. I, and I am with you. I don't consider myself a journalist. But having the reach that you have only in Substack, uh, you had just mentioned uh, in even the, the interview with David Blackman, your Twitter, and you yeah. have no other social media. You own your own channel. Yeah, we actually just left Twitter. Um, for a, a variety of reasons, which we described in a piece that we wrote called Notes on X. And so right now we are 100% all in on the Substack ecosystem. Right. And and we've decided to engage our audience to grow by, uh, you know, audience-led growth. And, uh, bonuses. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and referral fee. Sure. I love that. Well, and our, our thinking is um, twofold. We um, This perfectly aligns our incentives. So if we delight right. the readers 
here is an overt way for them to help us. Right. Uh, whereas we were struggling on Twitter because famously the new owner of Twitter has throttled all Substack accounts and references. And um, we struggled <laughs> with that for several months. And so instead of trying to trick an algorithm that's programmed against us, we said, why don't we just engage our audience? And we, even though we're paywalled, we do allow people to forward selectively. And, and we are aware of certain Wall Street right. institutions who have one subscription that's read by dozens of people internally. Like we could tell, and we've just decided that, right. uh, you know, we'll just try to keep honest people honest and, and uh, we're not going to go after the serial abusers, but we have, we have, we have more than enough subscribers to, to make a living doing what we love. You know, and people, you know, don't know that it's there, you know, it, it's like uh Substack, it does a great job with getting uh, everything out there and uh, Substack folks, uh, the, the, whoever is doing all the Substack stuff is phenomenal. Uh, I just love the, the way they do it. And I hope they stay uh, independent because uh, I'm getting slaughtered on Google. Uh, I can get shut down in, in the U.S. and I'm wide open in Europe since we're in 94 countries. So I can tell where I'm getting shut down. And it, it just is irritating. And I hope Substack stays that way. Yeah. We, and again, in full disclosure, we did participate in Substack's author-led equity round. And so we oh, are, nice. we nice. are par partial owners uh, of Substack. And I, again, I like to disclose all of our potential conflicts. Um, right. Uh, but we too uh, are, we invested in Substack in part because of their stance on free speech. Um, nice. we'll, see, we'll see how long they're able to resist it. Right. And, but we figured, you know, if they, if they do get bought out by somebody, at least we can make some upside. How is notes doing? Because I'm just now getting started in it. And I, uh, I, I really like the fact that Substack did it so I can share, you know, and I, I didn't even, I've not shared your stuff, uh, yet since I'm getting started in it. And I've shared other Substack, uh, authors that are not paid. I love having your paid uh, articles, but how's notes doing? Do you know? I mean, you get yeah, that's where we are exclusively today that we left right. Twitter for notes. It's, it's early days and it's, uh, and it You're, is, uh, it, it is not like Twitter. I mean, it's not as crowded as Twitter. It's different right. uh, in, in a lot of ways, um, but it's new and it's growing and, you know, we right. built our Twitter account from nothing. And so we're not afraid to start over and, and build something new somewhere else. It's kind of fun to right. build. If, if we're being your, your interaction with your uh, subscribers is phenomenal. I saw, I think it was one of your articles where uh, I think you even put in a, uh, I have to remember, I'm, I'm old, you know, and, and so I, I saw that somebody, one of your folks are putting in there, Irina Slav. And they're even going back and quoting and stuff like that. And uh, I've had Irina on my podcast several times. Love Irina. Um, and you've got other, the interaction that you're having has got to be noticed in your algorithms. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, we've, we've been treated well. Uh, we've, again, we've grown so far beyond anything that we could have imagined. Right. And, um, you know, I, I did an interview with the co-founder of Substack. He hasn't published it yet, but I, I said to him, you know, when you've, if you'd have asked us before we started doing right. to write that, write down on a piece of paper, what our wildest dreams would be. Right. We've lapped that several times over and it's really important in life to not then just go ahead and reset what your wildest dreams right. are. <laughs> like we, we have accomplished an amazing thing that we're totally proud of that yes. has changed our lives. It, it, it provides financial freedom to all of the families associated with the project. Right. And that's great. And we should enjoy that and we should savor that. What we shouldn't right. do is rewrite our wildest dreams and then be disappointed if we don't meet some new higher goal. And right. so um, this is one of the reasons why we left Twitter. Like if we were purely about optimizing subscriber numbers and revenue, we would have plugged right. our nose and stuck it out. Um, but some things are more important in life, uh, including, you know, waking up each day and being as happy as you can be. And, and frankly, 
it, yep. Substack has been our partners and Twitter has been, has, you know, X now oh. has become, has become antagonistic yeah. towards Substack authors, and so right. we would we would much rather lose with our partners than win with an antagonist, and and that's just yeah. that's our motto, and that's what we're going to do. That's incredibly smart. What's coming around the corner for Doomberg? What is coming around? Because I I just want to know two things: how can I help you? How can other podcast folks help you? And then also, what's coming around the corner? Uh, I mean, you. Just having us on your show is a great help and, and your support is greatly appreciated. And um, yep. of course, um, you know, your, your listeners are more than uh, welcome to subscribe. Uh, you can, we are, we are 100% subscriber supported. We do not accept yeah. ads or, or sponsorships just so that we can right. keep the maximum degree of editorial freedom. And, um, right. you know, subscribers who are super fans can gift additional subscribers to their in-laws who may need a, an energy right. lesson or two. And, and, um, so more than happy to provide that option as well. And just, helping us get the word out. Um, what's next for Doomberg? You know, we know we don't really know what we're going to write about until we know what we're going to write about. So today's, right. pub, today's publication day, I'll just give you some insight. Right. Um, a lot of comments. So paying subscribers can comment to our pieces and we make sure to uh, interact with as many of right. those comments as possible. Um, emails, a lot of people don't want to c- comment publicly. So we get a hundred or two inbound emails that we, we and it's right. literally one of two of us that is responding to every comment or email. So it's, it's a wow. member of the team. Um, and there's all, all kinds of little other issues. There's a promote, promotion part of it. So doing a podcast like this, which is great. Um, and then I'll typically see something in the news, which will trigger a story that I have <laughs> filed away in my brain. And then once we settle on a title, the piece kind of writes right. out. So I don't know what's next. Uh, today and tomorrow would be days where I would peruse the internet in search of something to write about. And then right. Uh, oftentimes it happens pretty quickly once, like, right. for example, Critical Leverage. I read that Reuters story about the first solar announcement of choosing Louisiana for its fifth factory. And right. when I read that final line, um, the entire piece just appeared uh, in my head and we wrote it very quickly after that. So how cool is that? Now, on, on some of the other things coming around the corner, uh, are you keeping tabs on the climate crisis and because it's impacting energy and uh, when you have China uh, just kind of going, eh, we're not going to I can't do a Chinese accent imitation. My Putin imitation is pretty good. But when you sit back and and kind of go with their China, the climate topics interact with energy so well. Um, what are you seeing there? Yeah, we've written about this several times that the, the global south is going to ignore their climate goals. Right. And, and they're going to consume, you know, every molecule of fossil fuels produced in the world will be burned by somebody somewhere. And and the any local restrictions only shift who gets to enjoy that privilege. Right. And this is because fundamentally energy is life and everybody everywhere wants a higher standard of living, which means everybody right. everywhere would like to harness as much energy as possible. Right. And, and this fundamental truism, the denial of that fundamental truism is is right. so obviously a luxury of the rich. Right. Uh, oh, yes. That uh, the poor in the world, which happens to be the majority, um, right. aren't, aren't going to be so foolish. And so um, if we banned gasoline today, every molecule of gasoline refined would be burned in the developed world um, because yep. uh, it, it would temporarily be cheap enough for them to acquire it. And, and yeah. they would. And so um, we, of course, write about the climate crisis all the time. Um, in the long run, it's probably going to be the thing that gets us canceled. But uh, <laughs> it, it will have been a fun ride. So we're not too worried but, about But it. your email is your own personal channel. So, yes, but know. there's still choke points that they could attack people like us. Oh, OK. Yeah. Well, you, I, you know, I don't want to say them because I don't want to arm the. Uh, 
Oh yeah. Uh, Sorry for bringing that up. Uh, But hey, (laughs) uh, you know, I really respect you and your opinions because it is my opinion that we need to have the lowest cost kilowatt per hour delivered delivered to every citizen in the world with the least impact on the world and sustainable through not printing money. I believe the world has been printing way too much money and we're headed to a, you know, a depression. Uh, We're hitting into some tough times and, uh, you know, I could be wrong. uh, But on the other hand, I love your attitude toward that as well, too. You're you're a lot like uh, Alex Epstein in the humanitarian and your thoughts. So thank you very much for your industry thought leadership. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot for having me on today. It was a real blast. Again, thank you. I give you a hug, but I don't know how to (laughs) hug a green chicken. And uh, one last question. Uh, Thank you again so much. Um, If you do live events, are you the guy that's going to have to be in a chicken suit? Yeah, well, we uh, we would only do remote events uh, with very, very rare exceptions for people that we know pre-existing. Uh, but actually, it, it should be said, we, we've done a few, um, you know, uh, paid speaking events where we zoom right. in as the green chicken. And I do think that um, this is a concept that we've not pushed or explored or promoted. But right. um, as the world becomes more remote, um, you know, it. it the times yeah. we've done it, it works just fine. We have we have a prepared presentation. They don't have to cover our travel, and the audience gets a chuckle. And then we 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 present um, you know some insightful, hopefully some insightful things, and we engage in active Q and A live with the audience, and then uh, leave the meeting and go about the rest of our day. It works great. You know, um, I I really wish you'd get a, a suit like. Do you remember the Intel <laughs> uh, Bunny Men? Yeah. yeah. I, okay, I I did one on the stage and I was dancing around and everything else uh, in front of thousands of people. And Andy Gro- Andy Grove sent out a note saying nobody but the actors are allowed to wear uh, the bunny suits the day after uh, I did my dance on stage. <laughs> so whoever you pick, if you do a suit. Has to be trained. Okay. <laughs> It'll just Thank be you. me, I promise. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. And we can't wait to talk to you in the future and uh, follow you and try to help you out. Will do. Thanks to appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks.